Thank you, Pastor Carter. It has been a lot of years. A lot of years. First, real quick before I get started, well, welcome. Thank you for being here at church. It's so good to see you all here on this Thanksgiving weekend. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Um, I did want to give a quick shout out to my beautiful wife, Cynthia. Wave, Cynthia. That's Cynthia. She had a birthday yesterday, and I just want to say happy birthday in front of all of you to her. I did that in the first service, and she told me not to do that again, so naturally, I did it again. So it is great to be with you all today. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. It's, it's travel season right now, though, right? Um, some of you probably are in town from out of town right now. You drove to Springfield. It's so good to have you. How many of you like road trips? Do you like to take road trips? Wow, a lot more than in the first service. Man, I used to love road trips. And then I had kids. <laughs> They're just not the same anymore. Road trips used to be so much fun, well, but we still do them anyways. I don't know why, but we still take them even though we have kids. Um, we did that earlier this year. We decided to uh, take a trip up to Denver, Colorado to see my brother. Uh, I was really hoping to see him preach. Uh, he was preaching to his young adults group that night, and we were going to just spend about five or six days with them. Um, uh, he has some kids, and so the cousins were going to be able to play. Anyways, we're going to take this road trip, and I'm a big planner. I really like to make plans, and I like it when my plans go as planned. I don't like it when they don't. I actually come from a long list of planners, and we aren't very nice people when it doesn't go how it's supposed to go. My mom's shocked right now that I'm saying this. But we come up with plans. We make plans, okay? And, and they need to go as we've, we've planned them. And so I've got it all figured out. We're going to leave at 6 o'clock in the morning, and we're going we're gonna to get there at 5 o'clock that evening because my brother preaches that night. We're going to give us a few minutes to settle in and, and go here and preach. So we're going to leave at 6. And so the night before, I have everything packed, ready to go in the car. And since we have kids again, um, we, each of them have their own kind of device that they're going to they're gonna watch movies and games. So I spend a couple of hours downloading the very specific games and specific videos that they want to watch because they all have to watch something different, right? It's not like it used to be where we just stare at the window. You, you have to give this to them. You have no choice. And so I spent all this time doing that. Okay, so fast forward to the morning, get a good night's rest, ready to go. What time do we leave? Do we leave at 6? No, no, we don't leave at 6. We leave at 7. And that's fine, whatever. I'm a little bit annoyed at this point, but we're going to get there. I can speed a little bit. It's, it's, speed limit is 75 in Kansas, so it's not too bad. You can do a little speeding through there. So we're fine. But then my wife says, well, the kids haven't eaten breakfast yet. Oh, okay. So we got to go through to McDonald's, you know, as you do. And McDonald's, of course, has a long line and blah, 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 whatever. We get them food finally. What time is it by the time we finally get on the freeway? It's 7.30. Okay, so now I'm like really getting agitated at this point. Well, we have a rule in, on our road trips, and I don't know why we do this, but this is a rule. We make our kids wait an hour before they can open up their device. I don't know why we do it. We just, I think it's because I had, to, I had to know devices growing up, and so I, I want them to experience it for a few minutes at least. <laughs> and it's the worst hour of the trip, by the way, because they're asking within 10 minutes, can I open my device? And they're grumpy and all that stuff. So just look out the window, but they don't want to do that. 
Anyway, so we make it through the first hour of our trip, and it's, we say, open up. You, know, you guys can do what you want. Leave me alone for the next 10 hours and do your thing. <laughs> well, then I start hearing a little bit of grumbling in the back, and I'm getting a little worried, and I hear, uh, this isn't working, and this isn't working. Well, come to find out about 75% of the things that I had spent all this time on, none of it was working. It's not working, and they're getting all upset. They're freaking out. I'm getting upset because I'm, I'm mad now. My wife is calm, which makes me more mad. <laughs> right? Just be mad with me, please. Let's get mad together. And so we, we kind of go along. We, we, I finally just have to get over myself. We get some things figured out. We take the trip. Long story short, we didn't make it in time, of course. So I missed my brother preaching, whatever. I'm not going to talk about that. But sometimes our plans don't go as planned, right? And we have these expectations that we put in front of us, and they don't go as planned. And I have this definition of success in my mind. And that definition is, I'm going to put a plan in front of myself, and I'm going to meet that plan. And if I don't, then I have failed, right? I'm not sure if that's a very godly explanation of success. But I've been reading this book it's called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. It's by Pete Scazzaro. Fantastic book. But it's been giving me some insight into, into this. What does success look like as a Christian? And he puts it this way. Success is becoming the person God calls me to become and doing what God calls me to do in his way and according to his timetable. Let's say that one more time. Success is becoming the person God calls me to become and doing what call, God calls me to do in his way and according to his timetable. So this has nothing to do with my plans, has nothing to do with my expectations, has everything to do with his. And I feel like the Lord has kind of given me this phrase that I've been kind of, kind of been my mantra the last few weeks. is just do the next best thing. We're going to get into what that means a little bit more. But stop worrying about my own expectations, about the plans that I've put ahead of myself, and just do the next best thing that God's put in front of me. And this is a journey to get here. And as we step into the holiday season, we know the holidays, we all have massive expectations for what the holidays are going to be like, right? And a lot of times it doesn't work out quite as we planned. So we're going to take a look today in a moment after we pray at the accounts of Mary Magdalene and what she can kind of teach us about just doing the next best thing. Lord, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to come around your word as a church. God, we ask that you would just speak to us today, Lord, that we would learn more about you and learn, learn more how to be like you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So let's first start by looking a little bit about who, who was Mary and where did she come from. So in Luke 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So first off, we know from here that she's a devout follower of Jesus, right? 
She's with the disciples, going from town to town, proclaiming the good news. But we also learn here is that she struggled before she met with Jesus greatly with demon possession. And let's understand what demon possession is, especially back in these biblical times. And Charles Spurgeon gives us a great explanation of this. He says, Persons possessed with devils were unhappy. They found the gloom of the sepulchre to be their most congenial resort. They were unsocial and solitary. If they were permitted, they broke away from all those dear associations of the family circle, which give half the charms to life. They delighted to wander in dry places, seeking rest and finding none. There are pictures of misery, images of woe. So this is Mary, no hope, an image of woe, no family. She's constantly being tormented by these spirits, these, these demons, and it's, this is happening sevenfold to her because there's seven of them. And it's not as if she was, you know, had some sort of physical ailment that man could, could help her with. This was spiritual, and only Jesus could free her of this. And I want to stop right there before we move forward and talk to the person in this room right now that's dealing with any sort of pain where you feel like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. There is no hope for you right now. But Mary's story right here is proof that God can do anything in your life. And he wants to. So I give this just to give us an understanding of where Mary had come from, why she would have such great devotion to Jesus. You know, she's really only brought up a dozen or so times in the Gospels. Um, She's not really ever even the focal point in most of those. Um, Yet her story is so significant, and I felt really pressed to, to share this today. So we're going to fast forward now. We're we're at the point where Jesus is on the cross. John 19, verse 25, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. See, Mary had had gone from being a woman who had multiple demons in her to, to meeting Jesus, to being saved, and from that point on had just a devotion to God that never failed and never wavered. She helped him as he spread the good news. She was with him as he helped people and healed people. She had a front row seat to the greatest person to ever walk this earth. And she's with him when he's arrested. And now, as he's dying upon the cross. And you might ask, besides her and the other women and John, where are the others? Where are the other disciples at this point? Where's Peter? Where's James? Where's Philip? Where's Andrew? Where are they at at this moment? We don't really know. But we do know is that Mary was there at the foot of the cross. Mary did the next best thing. The next step to take in this moment, and that was just to be with him. Sometimes the next best thing is to just be with him. You think about how difficult this could have been for Mary in this moment and the others that were with her. Surrounding Jesus were people that wanted him to die, that made this happen. And she had, obviously it took courage, but it also just took a hunger to just be in his presence. 
And our experiences may not generally be this dire as, as we talk about with Mary here, but, but you could say it's, it's getting increasingly more difficult to follow Jesus in our day and age, don't you think? First off, we have all the distractions in our world, but also there's just kind of a cynical view of, of Christianity right now. Some of you may work in secular, secular places where you may have a couple of friends that are Christians, but but then there's a lot of you around you that, that, don't, that don't believe those things. And not only do they not believe them, but they, they want you to not believe that as well. And they're very cynical towards your views. But we, we need to refocus ourselves on his face. Refocus our minds and our emotions on the things that he's done for you in your life. And just be with him. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So in other words, God will do through you what you allow him to do in you. And that, at times on the, along this journey, is exactly where we need to be just with him, spending time in his word, worshiping him, even bringing our needs to him, but most importantly, just abiding in him, abiding in his love. Sometimes we just need to be with him. The next best thing. We're going to skip ahead to the tomb scene. In Matthew 27, verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now we can only imagine those three days, how long they must have felt. It was just a helpless feeling that Mary and the other disciples must have had. You know, they had no other experience to, to hold on to that would prepare them emotionally for the events that were taking place. And at this point, you know, they're, they're not only grieving the fact that Jesus has died, somebody that they've devoted their lives to, but also the fact that maybe this whole Messiah thing isn't, isn't what we thought it was. They're still a little confused at this point. Probably have feelings of doubt and anger. You know, what's to come of all this? Yet, Mary waited on the Lord while he was in the tomb. She had enough faith to just wait, enough love and hunger for him to just wait. Sometimes the next best thing is to just wait on him. And waiting, let's talk about waiting for a minute, because we're really good at this, right? <laughs> waiting is not in our DNA in any of the generations that are sitting here, I don't think. Maybe Pastor Don, you're probably pretty good at waiting. No, <laughs> just kidding. No, we're horrible at waiting, right? And we can get groceries delivered to our house in 30 minutes to two hours. You can get things shipped to your house from Amazon and a couple of days. Now, I understand the whole supply chain thing. We're all upset about that, right? We're not getting things as fast. But case in point, right? Like, we're all complaining because we don't get our things in a few days. Sometimes the next best thing is just to wait. And it's, it's hard to wait on the Lord sometimes, isn't it? But there's reason in the waiting. It's not pointless. It's not just, just to wait. It's because God wants to do something in you he wants to stretch you. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. But shall, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk 
and not faint. When I hear this, I hear him saying to me, listen, Anthony, I've got a plan for you. You don't know what it is, but you don't need to know what it is. It's important that you just wait on me and allow me to do something in you so that when that next task comes, you're going to be filled up. You're going to be ready to do it. So sometimes the next best thing is to wait. What does waiting do to us? What does it do for us? What is God doing in us? Well, waiting on him, it reminds us of his sufficiency and his sovereignty. It shows us how to truly depend on him. Pastor Jim talked a few weeks ago about him being strong in our weaknesses. This is what this is all about. Waiting on him gives God the opportunity to build our character. This allows him to prepare us to whatever is coming that we don't know about. It also keeps you humble in the process. Waiting on him reminds us to trust him in all things. Reminds us who, who is truly in control, right? Not me. And waiting on him stretches our faith and deepens our relationship with him. See, as we lay down our agendas, we choose to trust his plans instead of our own. We experience more of his presence in our lives. Now, before the culmination of Jesus' resurrection, Mary still has a little bit of waiting to do at the tomb. But things start to kind of move here. And we're going to jump to John chapter 20, verse 1. And we're going to kind of read through this a little bit, so stay with me. Take some pauses. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And as we're reading this, just think about it. Just be in Mary's shoes right now. Things are starting to change quickly and how exciting but scary this must be. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, we see that word believed. That didn't mean anything other than he believed what Mary had said, that his body wasn't there. Because as it goes on, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then, this always surprises me, the disciples went back to where they were staying. Does it strike you as strange? They just went back. Jesus isn't there. They just went back. But Mary, she stayed. She stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. 
And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Now this always strikes me, this part of the story, because somehow she doesn't recognize Jesus' face. But don't we do that? How many of us in this room have experienced amazing things through God? He's done amazing things in your lives, brought you out of brokenness, performed miracles in your life, and yet when things get a little bit difficult, there's some distress, we kind of forget. We kind of forget about his presence in our lives. We don't recognize him in those situations. So we can jump back into verse 16. This is where it gets exciting. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now let's hang here for a minute because he calls her by name and everything changes just like that. It's like Jesus saying to her, Mary, I'm here and I've always been here. You see, our Lord is always present with us. Whether you recognize him or not, he is there. He never leaves your side. And just as he does with Mary, he calls your name. And we're no longer bound by sin or shame. Anything that's gone on in our lives, no matter what we've done in the past, like we remembered this morning already, his blood has washed you clean and you are forgiven. He calls your name and you, you recognize his voice. Mary recognized his voice because she belongs to him. We belong to Jesus. Then Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had, he, he had said these things to her. Go, he says. Go to my brothers and tell them. Sometimes the next best thing is to go. What does that look like for you in any moment? What does it look like to go? Is the next best thing to go and have that first conversation with a friend that doesn't know Jesus? Is the next best thing to go and deliver a meal to a struggling single mom that you know needs help? Is the next best thing to go and reconcile a relationship with a son or a daughter or someone else in your life that you love, forgiving and asking for forgiveness? What's the next best thing that God has put in your heart to go and do? How do we know we're ready, though? How do we know we're ready to go when he asks us? Well, you're ready when you do these things we talked about earlier. You're ready to go when you've, you've stayed with him and you've abided in him and allowed him to do a work in you. And you're ready to go when you've stayed true in those waiting times and allowed him to stretch your faith as Mary did. And as we close, I'd like to invite the worship team back up. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that, his, that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 
This is all about humility. This is all about laying down our own expectations, our own plans for his. What I admire about Mary Magdalene is that she understands this so deeply. She has great humility and just a great desperation for Jesus. And it takes this great humility and desperation to stay with Jesus at the cross. It takes a great humility and desperation to wait on him at his tomb. And it took great humility to walk into that tomb. Desperate to see her Savior, the Messiah. And we wonder, I wonder, why Mary of all people that he came to first? She's kind of the first evangelist here. But I think it's her, and I don't know God, but I, mean, I don't know what he was thinking. But if I can imagine, it seems to me that he, it's, it's because of the great humility that she walked in and that she stayed fully devoted to him. She honored him in all of these moments. In the worst moments of his life, she honored him, stayed with him, waited on him, and went when he asked. And he honored her back. She, he could trust her at that point to do the next best thing that he said in front of her. What I don't want to get confused here is the next, between the next best thing and the next big thing. Sometimes I think we're always waiting for the next big thing that God's going to put in front of us. And you're, you're going to have moments like that that are big, and God's going to do big things in your life, and he's going to ask you to do big things in his name. But are you going to stay true in the, in, the, in the moment-to-moment life to just do the next best thing, whatever God puts in front of you in that moment? Pastor Choco gave us an amazing message last Sunday, and it was great just to hear about him and his life and how he always just did the next best thing. We, we saw, we've seen the fruits of that ministry that God has given him. But ultimately, guys, we gotta, we got to die to our own expectations, die to our plans, and adopt his. You see, Mary went along the journey with Jesus, not the other way around. So whose journey are you following? Are you following your own, or are you following God's? I'm committed to this for me, and I want to ask you to do this with me. I don't want to be concerned anymore with meeting my own expectations. I'm probably not meeting my own expectations right now, standing here, but it doesn't matter. Because we've got to do the next best thing that God's put in front of us. And I want to spend myself on Him. Because this treasure is in me, and this treasure is in you. Will you join me in that? These altars are going to be open. Why don't you come? Pastor Josh is going to lead us in a song, and then we'll close.